Well, it has been another roller coaster week in the news, kind of a cavalcade of unfolding events that can be hard to keep up with and are often confusing. So let's try to make sense of all of this with our powerhouse roundtable. As always, we have got an excellent one for you. Raquel Rocky Rodriguez is a veteran government relations attorney with McDonald Hopkins. She was general counsel to former Governor Jeb Bush. We are always glad to see our friend Mark Caputo of Politico. He is covering the 2020 presidential race with a special emphasis on Florida. And we are also glad to welcome back to the roundtable Rafael Yanez, Miami attorney, political analyst, who in my view comes to things from kind of center right. Is that a fair uh, I, th I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. More of a conservatarian type I, view. I like that. Rocky Rodriguez, uh, when you worked for Jeb Bush, uh, he made a trip to Israel. I think it might have, he went to Mexico first, then I think he went to Israel. But this trip by Governor DeSantis, it's not just, it's a feel-good trip, but is it more than just feel-good? Well, there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into these trade missions, Michael. I, um, I went with Governor Bush on uh, one of his uh, trade missions to the, to the UK, yeah. and I can tell you that there are a lot of business meetings that go on, a lot of uh, programming, and a lot yeah. of business matching. Uh, but obviously, there's also a symbolic uh, part of it. And I think that every governor of Florida who's, who's gone to Israel has recognized the, the importance of Israel as an ally to the United States, as well as the, the importance of the Jewish community here in, in our state. So right. it's, it's, it's a lot of things. Yeah. Raphael, uh, there was some concern raised by a number of people, including the First Amendment Foundation of Florida, which I support, which said, look, we are a open government state. If you have a cabinet meeting, in another country that's 8,000 miles away, that's not accessible. The governor's office has taken a great pains to emphasize that it's a ceremonial cabinet meeting. Is it the advice I would have given this cabinet? Absolutely not, just to avoid this conversation that we're having. Right. But there will be no official state business conducted at that meeting. So yeah. therefore, it's not violating state sunshine laws on, in terms of the letter. But the spirit, you know, it's fair criticism for people to say the spirit yeah. might be violated. Yeah. Uh, Mark Caputo, we do know the governor is going to sign this anti-Semitism bill. Anti-Semitism, of course, is despicable, unacceptable. Um, but what does this bill really do? And is it, if you, if you want to be critical of a Israeli policy or an act, uh, you can do that, can't you, without being accused of being anti-Semitic? Well, yeah, I think the bill is not 100% politics, but this is uh, best viewed, I think, in a political lens, is you saw in the last election where DeSantis was facing Andrew Gillum, and uh, he right. used some of Andrew Gillum's support and statements against him and said he was anti-Semitic. You've seen Republicans in the past decade or so uh, wed themselves far more closely with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in right. Israel to the degree that to Democrats, Netanyahu looks like a Republican operative. And there's an advantage politically, not really in attracting, let's say, the Jewish vote or Jewish support, but the base of the Republican Party is still evangelical Christian. And right. they like the emphasis on the Holy Land. And right. I think this is part yeah. and parcel of that. Yeah, and beyond the even evangelical Christians, Rocky, there are roughly 600,000 Jews who live in Florida, and most of them in South Florida. So, and, and these are really tremendously politically active, engaged people, and they also write checks. So there is a political aspect to this too. 
I think everything elected officials do at some <laughs> level have a political aspect. But, uh, you know, the other uh, important thing about the connection to Israel is um, the last time I checked, Israel had, uh, of all the countries from outside the U.S., the highest number of listed companies publicly listed on our stock mm. market. And they certainly, as Governor DeSantis said, they are way ahead on technology. They're definitely way ahead on medical marijuana and agriculture in very difficult conditions. And so I think there's a lot to be learned here. So I, I think this is one where perhaps, you know, good politics is also good business. Yeah. Well, Glenna will be reporting all week, so we will see uh, what happens. Let's move on, if we can, to presidential politics. And Mark, this is basically your bailiwick. Uh, you are covering uh, the 2020 presidential race. So Joe Biden, let's say, comes to town on Monday uh, Michael Adler, the developer, has this big party for him, fundraiser in Coral Gables, raises, what, 400000 bucks. Then he goes to uh, Orlando the next day, he goes to the uh, attorney uh, John Morgan's home, raises a million, too. Uh, and then Biden comes up big in that FAU poll. So he is the prohibitive favorite. He's certainly the prohibitive favorite in Florida right now. And if you look at the national polls as well. But as everyone will tell you, it's early and a lot can happen. However, I, I do wonder at what point the electorate has already made up its mind. Yeah. We have to remember is, is that every election is its own unique show, its own unique organism, right. and they're different in their own way. And the electorate is increasingly becoming more politically engaged because they have far greater access to political information now. The internet has any number of websites you can go to right. and find whatever it is you wish. So I, I'm starting to wonder how solid Biden's support is. I don't know, but... It's uh, wide, but maybe thin. It, but he, there's a field of 23 candidates. And as a candidate who's running on kind of the silent plurality, let's yeah. say, uh, he's not running as a true progressive. He's running as a centrist. In a crowded field, that might just work. And the question for all of us is, is that while we and while I say it's early, ha has the electorate in the Democratic Party actually said this is going to be the guy I'm going to stick with and how solid well, are they? On well, that point, Michael, yeah. Mark is hitting the nail on the head because we're at the outset of the debates. You know, you talked about the Arsh Center is going to host the first debates on one of the major cable networks and they're going to live stream it in Spanish as well. They're, they're making a big effort to try to get these candidates out to as many of the Democratic base voters as possible right. so that it's not just dominated by the Bernie Sanders and the progressive narrative. Right. Well, I want to come back, talk about those debates. Well, we remember 2016 vividly with the debates with the Republicans. So let's talk about what the Democratic debates may be like. We'll be back with more Roundtable in a minute. Welcome back. We are in the midst of a roundtable with Mark Caputo of Politico, Rocky Rodriguez, very smart lawyer and former aide, uh, general counsel to Jeb Bush and Rafael Yanis. Rafael, let's talk a little bit about presidential debates. I mean, they're going to have 10 candidates on the stage for two hours. And let's just go ahead. NBC and uh, uh, Telemundo are Telemundo. going to broadcast them. Good for them. I think let's get these candidates out there. Uh, but uh, in the break, uh, Mark had said, you know, you got 10 candidates over two hours with questioners. Uh, at best, that can be maybe five or six minutes 
for a candidate? What what can they really achieve? Those media debates are, are strictly for the media, in my opinion. They need to get their sound bites out and then try to drive the discussion about their candidacy. Who's gaining momentum? Who's losing momentum? You know, Donald Trump, to his credit, uh, I was supporting Jeb Bush in the 2016 race in the primary, and Donald Trump went after Jeb, you know, after his persona and brand him immediately. Low energy Jeb. Low energy Jeb. I didn't want to repeat it because I like Jeb. <laughs> anyone who knows is anything but low energy. Right, and he's, and he's a force I, to be reckoned with intellectually. And so to call him low energy, well, of course, to compare it to bombast, but moving back to the Democrats, I think we're going to see something similar. We're going to start seeing the candidates stratify because I, I've shared with you before. I believe there's three types of candidates in the presidential race, especially in a field that's 16 in, in the Republican uh, 2016 and now that we're in excess of 22. There's candidates who think they really can win the White House and want to win the White House. Right. There's candidates who want to get their name out there and gain some notoriety, name ID, maybe right. raise some money. And then there's candidates who just want to be a kamikaze candidate and drive the discussion. I put Bernie Sanders in that camp. Yeah. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, I want to put up a, uh, on the screen so people at home can see the results of an FAU poll this week, which kind of shows where Florida Democrats, we are 10 months away or so we don't have it from our um, uh, primary. But in this, it's Joe Biden, 39%, Elizabeth Warren, 12%, uh, Mayor Pete, 9%, Kamala Harris, 7 Bernie Sanders doesn't even show up in this poll. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to speak ill of FAU's poll. I, I would find that a, a bit of an outlier. Uh, most polls in Florida and national polls as well show yeah. Bernie Sanders yeah, in second. showing up, yeah, in second, pl in second place. But would it surprise me that Joe Biden would be at 39%? No, it would not. Florida. No, it would not. Uh, all right, if we can, uh, the other major candidate, as I said, who was in Miami, South Florida this week, was Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and he spoke in Wynwood. I think I've got the pronunciation <laughs> right. Uh, he spoke in Wynwood, and just to give you a bit of the flavor of the kind of candidate he is, here's Mayor Pete on Monday. This is a moment in between chapters in the American story. That's one of the reasons it's so hard to read the moment that we're in. is because we're on kind of a blank page between what came before and what's coming next. That's why this is such a serious moment. In many ways, believe it or not, even now we may well be underreacting to the seriousness of what's happening in our country. The change, the disruption politically, socially, technologically, economically, the question before us is not can we stop the change. That's impossible. It's how do we make the change work for us. And in order to do that, I would argue, we need to be led by our values. By our values, uh, I find that a very high-minded kind of uh, look at, you know, what the presidency should be. And uh, I find him uh, an, appealing, an appealing politician, thoughtful and smart. What, what, what is your reaction, Rocky? I think that uh, ultimately whoever is able to engage with the hearts of the voters mm -hmm. is the one who's going to come out ahead. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've always been a resume voter and I could uh, you know, tell you all of the primaries that I've called out wrong or supported the wrong person because <laughs> I was focused on resume. Yeah. But I've learned now through, um, uh, through witnessing a few election cycles that it's really, you know, are you speaking to the voters' wants, their needs, yeah. and their fears? Right. And I think well that the, the candidate who accomplishes that is the one who's going to win the primary. Well said. And I, I think to her point is, while that is a good intellectual speech, 
Mm -hmm. What's missing, or what I saw when I was there from Mayor Pete, was something that would make Democratic hearts go pitter patter. Mm -hmm. the, there, there is appealing to the mind, but what Rocky's talking about is appealing to the heart and soul, and I didn't hear that from him. Now, you don't really hear that as much from Biden either, and that's one of the reasons that a lot of folks who are observing the Democratic primary think there's going to be a candidate who's going to catch fire, who's going to capture uh, the hearts of progressive and democratic voters. It could voters. be Mayor Pete, though. Mayor Pete has been using almost conservative language to cloak himself and break through this noisy field. And Mayor Pete's uh, military service is appealing even to many Democrats, blue dog Democrats in places like North Central Florida. So I think it's important to, to think about Mayor Pete from the lens of he's, I think, holding his gunpowder for the right moment. And maybe in these debates, we'll start yeah. seeing him fire. But let's be practical. Before we get to a primary in Florida, they got to get through the Iowa caucuses, right. the New Hampshire, New Hampshire primary, primary, the right. South Carolina primary, and the road to the White House yeah. and California. The road to the White House is littered with candidates who'd never made it to Florida right. because of that And then issue. Rudy Giuliani, and then you think about Marco Rubio, who was doing extremely well by the time in 2016 we got to the Florida primary, he tanked. Well, he tanked in New Hampshire on the debate stage, one of the great meltdowns of all time. The Chris Christie, yeah. Yeah. Jersey elbow. Yeah. Well, to give him his due, I think Senator Rubio has made kind of a, a remarkable comeback. He's really gotten interested in the Senate and, you know, been a good senator. How about that? I'm, an endorsement, I guess. Uh, what does that matter? Anyway. You're going to catch hell. Oh, I, 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 Go ahead. All right, stay with us. More roundtable after the break. Welcome back on this Memorial Day weekend. We are in the midst of a really excellent roundtable. And let's, if we may, talk a little bit about the Coconut Grove Playhouse, which is a place which, uh, if I may speak personally, is really important sort of culturally to me. Uh, I have been to the Playhouse dozens of times when it was open. Jose Ferrer, a great actor, was once the uh, artistic director. I saw him there in the dresser, one of those memorable moments you uh, you know, we'll never forget. And the Playhouse closed 12 years ago. There's a plan, Rocky, under the city, uh, the county, and some city of Miami, uh, state of Florida, uh, FIU, and Gable Stage to try to get it back open again. And this week, the Miami Commission uh, did not override Mayor Suarez's veto. So where does it go from here? Well, full, full disclosure, I'm representing the city on the ultra litigation. I'm not involved in this, right. but uh, you should know and the viewers should know. Uh, you know, this uh, standoff reminds me of uh, a play that made its U.S. debut at the Coconut Grove Playhouse, Waiting, Waiting for Godot, for Godot. Right. where the two characters are on stage <laughs> and one says, uh, shall we go? And the other one says, yes, let's, and they don't go. Right. And uh, that kind of is the feeling that I have over all these years regarding uh, what is going to become of the Playhouse. And I think, you know, there's litigation between the county and the city, and the state has sent a default letter to FIU and to the county. Right. I really think that what needs to happen is for the, the major players, the state, the county, and the city, to get together and all of them talk about how we're going to resolve this. I think there is a solution, and I think that there are, are ways to uh, supplement the money that the county has set aside from the bond issuance. Right. And, and, and I think that if they can do that, I think we will get to the right result. But uh, that's the only way I think we're going to get 
something that will maybe not everybody will be 100% happy, but I think people will be mostly satisfied with the outcome. Right. Uh, Mark, you live in the Grove. I mean, and I, I know you've been to the plant. We have all been to, to the Playhouse. Uh, uh, what about some kind of mediation to bring these sides together? Do you see it? I, I mean, I Francis Suarez and Mayor Carlos Jimenez are really at odds on this. I guess it could work, but uh, to Rocky's point, it's theater of the absurd. The problem here is that, that, that you have too many entities that are getting involved. Ultimately, they all agree that it should remain some sort of playhouse, some sort of theater. There's a dispute over the number of seats and you know what's going to be preserved and whatnot. But in the end, the problem is, is that you have, you have the, the actual real world outcome based on whether it's what the city wants or what the county wants. They're relatively similar. So this is egos. And this is what happens when you have too many people in government or too many cooks spoiling the broth. Well, right. there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen here. I would say it's not insignificant that uh, the plan that the county has advanced uh, with approval from the state and Gable Stage is for a 300-seat theater, which they say would be financially and artistically viable. And the opponents want a 900 to 1,000-seat theater which uh, my friend Joe Adler, Gable Sage, says, I'm not sure we could make money. It would lose money and the Coconut Grove Playhouse and its former... Uh, I also have a deep admiration for that playhouse. I went to several plays growing up uh, through my middle school and high school years until it shut down. But my, my heart breaks because too often our local politics devolves into you know, hostage negotiation exactly. and, and, the, and the hostage takers, uh, yeah. everyone's a hostage taker of sorts right. and they say, if I don't get my, my pink unicorn, I'm going to shoot the hostage. Well, right now, the, the Coconut Grove community is going to lose out and Miami-Dade County right. as a whole is going to lose out if we don't find a solution. Yeah. You know, I, I think that people here are coming at it in good faith. I think uh, the, the various parties truly believe that they have reason on their side. And I think that they really all want to make the Playhouse work. Again, I think that the difference is how do you get there? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful that they will get there. And I'm hopeful mm -hmm. that, you know, a judge isn't the one that's going to impose the I have an the, idea the based result. off of what Rocky just said, what you said, Michael. Let's put Mark Caputo uh, out at dinner key for the cafecito summit between the mayors, <laughs> and let's make him the special magistrate. We're going we're to flip a coin, and if it lands on tails, it's the counties, and if yeah. it lands on heads, it's the well, cities. I, I, I would know. say the county and uh, the state and Gable, they have $23 million, they say, ready to go, and they have architectural plans by Architectonica. I mean, there just has firm. to be a way. I mean, I happen to like your idea, Rocky. Let's get a mediator. Let's all get them in a room and just simply say, work it out. My vote's for Mark. <laughs> That's, I, I'm not a mediator. Huh. <laughs> well, um, you're a political reporter and a, and a darn good one. So, uh, and on that scale, just to end this session here, uh, you, you, we know that President Trump is making tremendous efforts here with the campaign, which was kind of ad hoc in 16, but boy, they are getting organized oh, yeah. uh, for 2020. Uh, because of the Electoral College, Republicans generally need to win Florida, the biggest swing state. And Trump knows that. This is his second home. Uh, when he, he's on the campaign trail, he likes to reenact uh, election night, and he loves to mention how Florida came in for him. Right. All campaigns divide up the country into different regions. The Trump campaign has made Florida its own region. That's how important Florida is to President Trump's re-election chances. Right. And a shout out to David Smiley, the Miami Herald. It's a very good piece in today's Herald about that. Well, Rocky Rodriguez, Rafael Yanis, 
the estimable uh, Mark Caputo. We are glad you are all with us. Thanks very much. Thank you.